welcome to Books, Broads, and Boobs. This is your host, Jamie Bennett. Unfortunately, today I am the only host, so you get to listen to my lovely voice this entire time. My wonderful and adorable rock star co-host, Monica, had some personal issues happen and she's not able to make it here. But we have already planned our book for our next podcast together. And I'm really looking forward to doing that one with her. It'll be very exciting. It's another self-help book. And I have a whole book full of tabs for that. In the interim, I have recently read The Story of Stuff. It was a fascinating read, in my opinion. I looked up on the uh, publisher's website for a list of discussion questions. And I'm going to pretend to ask myself these questions. So, the story of stuff, how our our obsession with stuff is trashing the planet, our communities, and our health, and a vision for change by Annie Leonard. was originally a movie, and after she wrote this movie, she decided to uh, write a book. Let me hop over to the introduction. Where do our computer, soda cans, and t-shirts come from? Who and what was involved in their production? How far did they travel to reach us? And where did they go when we were thrown away with? Annie Leonard, creator of the internet film sensation, The Story of Stuff, takes readers on an epic journey around the world and back in time to understand our consumption-driven economy. Her conclusion is clear. We have too much stuff. Too much of it is toxic, and we're not sharing it well. <clears throat> so, in the introduction, Annie describes how her professional path led her from specialized expertise in one specific area, garbage, to much broader and interdisciplinary focus. How has your career path developed and general knowledge towards specialization or the reverse, like Andy? <clears throat> so, I am a scientist, I am a chemist, I do water testing. My specialization is uh, testing for disinfecting byproducts in drinking water. I don't really have uh, any sort of interdisciplinary fields that I've learned or done this. I've done this for a long time. I enjoy it. I think it's important work and I feel good at the end of the day when I go home knowing that I'm helping to make sure that the water our customers drink is safe. Question number two from Simon & Schuster. What do you think about Annie's claim in the introduction that capitalism is the economic system that must not be named? I'm going to agree with Annie. I've had a lot of doubts about capitalism myself. I have often questioned in my own heart how buying stuff is sustainable for our planet and how we'll be able to continue this. And I mean, outgrowing the planet one day, leaving the planet, I'm not so sure that humans deserve that yet. Alrighty, folks, next question. Many of Annie's stories involve travel to other countries where she witnessed people living with fewer resources, like fresh water and less stuff. 
Have you ever traveled to places where you've noticed differences in stuff, such as access to resources, or the amount of advertising, or the types of things available to purchase? If so, how did the people there seem to deal with these different circumstances? Did they seem unhappier, happier, or the same as folks back at home? What lessons can you draw from your observations of life in the U.S. and elsewhere? <clears throat> so I will admit that sometimes I get a little overwhelmed by all the signs on the roads that I drive to work. My drive is uh, very commercial. I leave my little residential neighborhood and then I travel down a, a highway filled with businesses, restaurants, merchandising, uh, every sort of store that one would possibly ever want to shop at, except for the mall. And it's a little overwhelming sometimes to stare at all the signs, uh, so much so that after I've been driven this road for many, many years, I've become uh, oblivious to all the noise as I drive through. So uh, one of my coworkers, Jason, woohoo, hey Jason, was following me into work one day and we got up real close and he was following me and I pulled into the parking lot and he came in and he's like, I followed you almost the whole way to work. And I'm like, I really don't pay any attention because I just sort of learned to tune out all that around me and I've just sort of in my own little shell, pay attention to the couple of cars in front of me, like maybe a half a mile in front of me, what people are doing and anything behind me. Pretty much oblivious to all the restaurants, roads, uh, McDonald's has been gone through, Taco Bell has gone through, Wendy's has gone through, renovations that I never noticed. Completely changed. I drive up one day and I'm like, huh, this looks completely different. The last time my kids asked me to come here. I know this show is very strange without Monica here, and I'm really sorry. But hopefully it'll just be this one time, a few weeks, everything will look great again. Woo okay. Question again. Annie describes externalized costs as a major reason why our current economic system is unsustainable. These hidden costs, which are almost never represented in the price of the stuff we buy, accumulate at every stage in a product's life, from extraction to disposal. Pick a product you recently purchased. How much did you pay for it? Based on what you learned from Annie, what kind of costs were likely hidden or externalized? What do you think the price tag would be if these costs were internalized? What a great question. <clears throat> Newest item that I bought was a... Uh, t-shirt from a friend of mine at work it says leave us where they are tnr which means trap neuter and return it's a, a meow mission fundraising t-shirt they use to help raise money to help pay for neuterizing is that correct word neutering cats cost of this t-shirt was twenty dollars real cost of this t-shirt does not include water that was uh we use potable water it's a very limiting resource in the world and annie talks about the production of a t-shirt and spends a lot of time with it in the book it was very surprising uh all the energy work and costs for a simple t-shirt from the cotton uh the bleaching the dyeing and the shipments 
but aren't actually included in the cost. She tried to do it with a computer, but it was way too hard. She spent like an entire chapter. It was a lot of information describing a t-shirt and then a computer. Um, they're like, yeah, that, that would be like an encyclopedia set. Crazy how that is. <clears throat> On to the next question. One of the most poignant threads in the book concentrates on Haiti. Uh, pages 4950, 36 through 39, 224 to 227 in the hardcover edition. Has your opinion on the economic struggles that Haiti faced changed since reading the story of Stop? What kind of assumptions do you see at work in media coverage affairs of Haiti? Okay, so uh, this book was written, I think, back. 2009, 2010, I, I can look up on Goodreads and figure that out for you here in a minute. However, uh, one of the main parts of the story was is that um, Annie went down to Haiti, was talking to local farmers, and they were complaining about uh, rice. They called it Miami rice, this white rice that came from the U.S. How it wasn't as nutritious, it didn't taste as good, it was crap, but... Um, their farmers there couldn't work as farmers to grow rice. They needed them to make t-shirts um, in the textile industry. They needed them to like make clothing for Americans. So she's talking to this gentleman and she's like, okay, yeah, uh, this guy's a little crazy. He's on the crazy train. He's got, you know, real indulgence for conspiracy theories. I'm sure that's not how it is. So she goes to the American consulate down there and was talking to him. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, it's better for Haitians to have jobs and factories and uh, making cheap clothes for Americans. And then we can also sell them our extra rice that we have left over. So then, you know, it's a win for win for Americans. We're selling them um, commodities and they're producing goods for us at a great cost. She was blown away. She said, uh, you're taking people who are independent, who can sustain themselves, and then making them um, forced to rely on the U.S. and our economic system and our consumerism. And that's not really a great way for especially a small country that struggles the way Haiti does to have their economy based. And I completely agreed with her on that analysis. I was horrified for the Haitian people myself. And I unfortunately have not looked in to see if any of that has changed, especially after the earthquake that had there. And these sorts of natural disasters really show that uh, countries, we're all interdependent on each other. However, we should be trying to be more sustainable. We should be able to try to maintain things ourselves as much as we can. Grow food locally, when we can, where we can, support local businesses, support local real retailers, any anything that we can do locally stays local. It's not going into the pocket of some big CEO at a corporation who, if his company fails, he's just going to get a federal bailout anyway. I mean, who cares about that guy? But your neighbor Joe, who's, you know working in construction and maybe you could hire his company to do some work for you. Just my opinion. 
Live long. Okay. <clears throat> Next question. Have you ever lived or visited somewhere near a factory or a dump? What did you notice about the air quality, the tap water, the people who lived there, and the kinds of housing and amenities nearby? So the city that I live in, woo, we actually have our own municipal dump. It's really stinky. It's not a place I enjoy visiting. I don't enjoy driving by it. It's kind of out in the middle of the country. Uh, it's not a lot of people live near there. It's not someplace I'd want to live near. Working in drinking water quality. You don't really want to live near certain businesses. Uh, they have, can have runoff that can affect your water quality. Not professional advice here. But avoid living near farms or dumps or chemical factories. Places where their waste can possibly contaminate the groundwater. Next question. Did the section Sorry folks. Did the section on US government regulations surprise you? What kind of laws and agencies do you believe would best protect you and your family? What role do you think the government has and or should have in ensuring our products are safe and our air and water is clean? So part of my work is actually uh, part of the Air Clean Water Act that was enacted in uh, the government, decided to create the EPA, started making regulations for uh, what people could have in their water and still be safe to drink. You're, you can have some contaminants in there. At one point, is it unsafe? Um, studies need to be done. Research has to be done. Samples need to be tested. We have to look at data. And that is part of what my job is. Uh, our lab does work to, that would fulfill the criteria for these laws that are written out. So I'm wholeheartedly a supporter of federal guidance and uh, I don't think businesses care about how they impact the environment. I think most businesses look at how much money they're making, they look at the dollar bottom line and they really don't care about the people in the community, their workers, people who are working, making these products. So I, I am all for guidelines safety. Before reading the story stuff, have you ever heard much about the international financial institutions such as the World Bank and IMF or regulatory agreements such as GATT or the WTO? I vaguely heard of them, but not really. Where were they mentioned and how were they depicted? <clears throat> they were mentioned all throughout the book. And they're depicted horribly. Uh, she believes that it's a racket, especially the loans to poor countries where they're forced to pay back these loans by selling natural resources in their country if they have to, not able to utilize the resources that they have, having to offer them to other nations at a really good price uh, for what they are in order to pay back these loans and she does not speak well of any of these sorts of financial institutions. 
<clears throat> Are you aware of a local economy functioning in your community? Actually, I am. So, uh, <clears throat> a somewhat long story is that I'm in a lot of book clubs. One of my book clubs had a member of the art commission for the city that I live in and said, hey, we're doing this thing. And if you go on Instagram or Twitter, and you go to these local businesses and you use this hashtag and take a selfie there, you could win some downtown dollars. And I was like, what? I could earn free money for just taking pictures of places that I already enjoy going? And they were like, yeah. And it's like up to $50 for all three places for a second and third, you know, they break it out. I was like, I'm in. Sadly, I was the only person who was in. But that was a plus for me. And then I was the only person that showed up at the award ceremony, which is even a bigger plus. So I won $50 of downtown dollars that I was able to spend at certain downtown businesses that I already love. So uh, a friend of mine and I went out boozing. I bought some chocolate and some coffee. I was pretty stoked. All for just going to some businesses saying, hey, where's your sign? Can I take a selfie? Piece of cake. <clears throat> Since reading this book, do you have a different awareness of advertising? Do you notice ads that seem manipulative? Or that try to make you feel bad about yourself? How? Are there ads that your family not be exposed to? Okay. I hate advertising. I hate ads. I loathe ads on YouTube, Facebook. Oh, especially all the Facebook video ads. Now they're just making me so angry sometimes. I just stop watching the video. And I count down the seconds until I can hit skip on YouTube. Or I look at it and I'm like, no, skip. And then I count silently to myself from 14 down. I totally believe that advertisers are just trying to use my emotions against me to buy their product because they'll make me feel better about myself. Try to, and I totally agreed with, with Anne that they're just trying to make you feel bad so they can make more money. And I would rather that my children didn't watch any ads, but oh God. They watch so many. They are so addicted to YouTube. They watch so many ads and I've expressed to them both. Don't listen to these people. They don't really care about you. They don't really care about your feelings. They don't care about how their product is impacting the world. They just want to make money. So yeah, they're probably not telling the truth or not all the truth about whatever they're trying to sell you. So my, my heart is warmed when my one youngest son told me that a particular ad was lying to us and I was like woohoo they did listen okay so I'm gonna take a sip of my beverage here for a moment in the chapter of consumption Annie says that for most of us our consumer muscle is stronger and more developed than our citizen muscle. Of these two, which muscle is better developed than you? When do you think of yourself as that? In the broader society, do you see yourself more as a consumer or as a citizen? 
in each role, what do you think the role of government really is? Which should be the top priorities of government and the economy, in your opinion? Oh, this is so hard. So I'm going to be honest here and I'm going to think that my consumer muscle is probably stronger than my citizen muscle. I do do volunteering. I, um, up until the whole coronavirus attacked, um, I'm calling an attack. I was planning on running for city council for the city of Niles. I'm not 100% sure if I'll be able to get all the signatures I need to be able to vote in the time, how elections are going to work this year, because it's it's gone crazy, folks. Crazy. So I would say that, you know, my, my citizen muscle may be a little bit stronger than some others, but I feel like my consumer muscle is still stronger, way stronger. And her discussion in, in the book... Uh, about that was actually really good. In fact, I haven't seen the movie, The Story of Stuff. Um, I've only listened to the book, but I've um, been meaning to look it up and watch it. And I think it, it's been really interesting for me. And uh, let me just say something here for a moment. Her solution is to slowly move away from a consumer society, slowly move away from people who just make stuff and buy stuff, slowly move away uh, from creating all this garbage that's toxic for our environment, it's toxic for workers, it's, it's toxic for everything that exists in our world, just so that we could have cheap electronics, so that we could have the newest refrigerators, so that we could have super cool stuff and get super cool stuff on a regular basis and she wants us to move to a more sustainable uh economic model and i i started listening to this book before uh the pandemic happened here in the united states and i continue to listen to it as all these businesses are shut down and it is really strange not having all the stores that I normally drive by open. It is very odd to drive by um, a, a strip mall and everything be closed. It is very strange to park my car at my work parking lot and walk to the curb and there's no cars driving by. It is very strange, but it's not bad. It's just, it's just different. And uh, her approach to this was to to get to the same place, sort of where we are now, just very slowly, without destroying the economy, without destroying people's 401ks. Because don't look at your 401k, people. Just, just that's a terrible idea. Her, her recommendations were to sort of balance this with um, government aid, if, as needed, and to move to a sustainable way of life, similar to, you know, maybe what we had a hundred years ago. So moving forward, but also stepping back in how we're viewing what we do, what we use, where it goes. I, um, of all the things that I learned in this book, the most important thing I learned was that vinyl is terrible. I had no idea. Um, Vinyl, 
produces uh, dioxins when it's made. Dioxins contaminate groundwater, and they're very terrible for you. It's, it's they're awful. So then uh, you think, oh great, I'm I'm not going to bury it in the ground at a dump where the liner could uh, be easily breached and uh, something sharp could poke in it, and then uh, that toxic nastiness can drain into the ground through to the drinking water and contaminate. Oh, that's terrible. So instead of some, um, some cities and municipalities use an incinerator. That's so much better. We can just burn it and then we don't have to worry about it. It's just incinerated. And she said, no, 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 no. Burning vinyl creates more dioxin and then that is spread in the air. But then it travels even further. So there's more of it. You're breathing it in. And then it can get into the groundwater. So she's like, no, 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 no. Burning incinerators, bad. So bad, 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 bad. And I felt all of the medical waste and the medications that we use and the medications that we make also really terrible for the environment. Also really awful just, um, getting rid of all these items um and we're going to be doing a whole lot of that right now unfortunately but again started this book before the pandemic so <laughs> it's been a real challenge for me reading it um so let me just take a quick oh all right i'm just gonna hop to the very last one is do you feel more or less empowered to change things for the better after reading the story of stuff? So when I started reading this and uh, our well, reading slash listening to this book, I felt super empowered. I was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This is the knowledge that I've wanted. These are things that are important to me. They, they, they make my heart happy. I feel this is totally right. And... Uh, <laughs> As the world has slowly crashed all around us, I have lost a lot of hope of making some of those changes. Uh, going to the grocery store is now a terrifying event. I am in a community where there is definitely a community spread of the coronavirus. Uh, COVID cases uh, have had their first death in my county. So I uh, I'm not using my reusable bags. I'm not spending as much time in the store. I don't care what I'm buying. I'm buying whatever is available. I don't care how much I'm spending. I'm not worried about how my dollars are working at this moment. <coughs> so I feel like this probably wasn't a great time uh, for getting this information, reading this book. However, I can't forget these things for when life settles back down, things normalize, and I feel like I can live my mission and be myself and do the things that I want to do with my dollars and my opinions and my voice. And uh, I just have to like hold on and remember, hey, these, these things are important and uh, I can look forward to the day when I can make them a priority again. Right now is sort of like anxiety panic mode. And uh, just so it's okay. It's okay. 
And as Monica has, has said uh, to me many times before, don't get caught up in being perfect. Just do your best. So right now, I'm just going to do my best. And uh, thank you all so much for joining me by myself. And uh, I hope this turns out somewhat coherently. Peace and love to you all. See you next time. Bye.